0: Hello, and welcome to Newton's Darkroom Presents Broadcast. This is the second part to this month's update. You don't have to listen to the first part, but we'd recommend it. As a quick recap, Astatine, the three-legged kitten, was hidden under Auggie's bed when we sent all the cats away to the desert. We decided to reunite Astatine with her siblings when we discovered that time plays loose in the desert, and they have become lords, queens, and gods of the land. However, due to various disputes, the cats have all separated, and it is up to us to bring them back together and reunite them with their long-lost sister. And now, we continue. We had a lot of information, but not a lot of specifics. We scanned the expansive desert looking for any signs of the great cats. Poking over some dunes far to the east, we could see a tower. At the top of this tower was a white splotch curled into a ball. It was Cobalt. After a moment of deliberating, we decided to end our journey with Cobalt. After all, he was the reason most of the other cats had left. We didn't want to get exiled, imprisoned, or killed. That was when Jack, a dull boy, made a suggestion. He was very close with Zinc, and the two of them could often be found outside with Zinc rolling around in the ashy dirt and Jack sketching something into his notebook. Jack claimed that Zinc hated the sand. It was too dry and loose. Zink liked good old-fashioned earthy dirt, something that would clump and stick to his fur a little bit more. Jack pointed to a large rock formation south of the tower. There, he said, that's where we'll find zinc." The group agreed by taking their first steps towards the rock. We couldn't make it there in one night, so we had to set up camp when it got dark. We all slept in one tent with Astatine curled up in Augie's sleeping bag. In the morning, we continued on to the rock formation until we arrived at its base. We decided to proceed stealthily so as not to startle Zinc. I was impressed by the climbing skills of our party. Everyone kept their eyes peeled for Zinc as they hopped from rock to rock. However, after several hours of looking, we had no luck. As we reached a small clearing, Astatine started squirming and meowing in Augie's arms. We asked Augie to put Astatine down, and reluctantly, she did. Astatine went hobbling around the rocks. Sempra would hold her breath every time the three-legged cat would make a leap, but every time, the cat landed just fine. We followed the kitten further up into the formation. We curled and hopped and scrambled our way until we were in front of a cave. A large cave that seemed darker than the night. Astatine began walking towards it, but Jack picked her up before she could. Something was coming out of the cave. It fell in slow motion like a palm tree bending in the wind. It was large, long, and thin like a dragon's neck, though this was covered in fur. It softly putted into the sand, creating a cloud of dust in the air. It began flicking back and forth. Astatine squirmed out of Jack's arms and pounced on the slithering object. That was when the ground started to rumble. A bellowing laugh rang from the cave, and two emerald eyes as large as my head opened up from the inside. It was Zinc. We could feel the air dart around us as Zinc took two sharp breaths. The eyes were wide and unblinking as the large cat's head poked from the mouth of the cave. Astatine. Is that you? The kitten meowed, gnawing on the tail. Oh my god, that is you. Zinc was weeping as Astatine rubbed her cheek against the tail. We gave them a moment to enjoy each other's company before mentioning our quest. Zinc, we seek to reunite the periodic kittens, restore balance to this barren desert and to find a home for little Astatine." Sink laughed at us. "'Reunite? Are you aware of what has transpired here? There are scars that run deep in my brothers and sisters because of that beast in the tower. Harmony is but a fantasy for us.'" Augie spoke up, louder than I have ever heard her before. "'But we have to at least try. For Astatine. Sink stared at the kitten lying on its back, gnawing at his paws. He nodded slowly. I will return to the tower. Cobalt doesn't hate me, yet. But beware of the reaction the others may have. Many did not leave on as good of terms as I. I asked the cave cat where we could find the others. He answered briefly. Follow the clouds of dust. And with that he leaped over our heads, running towards the tower. Augie knelt down, and Astatine climbed back into her arms as if trained. We could see the dust cloud Zink had mentioned rising from the dunes on the other side of the rock. With no other leads, we began our descent. The trip down was much easier than the trip up. As we neared, we could see through the cloud of dust. At its center, tossing and turning on his back, was Nickel. "'I love the dirt,' he said to what seems like himself. "'I love the dust and the dirt and the way it feels against my skin.' I cleared my throat. Nickel stopped and turned his head sharply in our direction. Who dares interrupt my dusty ritual of dust? Nickel, we seek to reunite the periodic kittens, restore balance to this barren desert, and to find a home for little Astatine. Nickel threw his head to the side, scoffing at us. Nah, nah, it's impossible. I could never return. For you see, I like the dirt and rolling around in it, and Cobalt likes to be clean. Our rift is too strong to overcome. The group and I exchanged glances with each other, trying to decide who would talk to the cat. I nodded toward Augie, who had handled Zinc quite well, but Augie did not notice and continued running her hand through Astatine's fur while listening intently for any developments. Jack shook his head and held up his hands. Sempra pointed at me, then held up four fingers and tapped her chin with them. She wanted me to speak. I stepped forward, squinting at the creature, trying to find the best way to convince him to return. I... I I don't think Cobalt cares whether you're dirty or not. I think he just wants his bath, so if you want to roll around in the dirt and stuff, that doesn't really conflict with Cobalt at all. Nickel's eyes went wide, which was impressive because his eyes were already very, very wide. Hey, you're right. I can be dusty and he can be clean. The two can live in unity as they have no effect on the other. Thank you, kind subjects. I must now return to the tower. Nickel was about to leave, but Sampra stepped in front of him, holding out her hand to say stop. She held her index finger in the air, pivoted it, then held up a thumb to her left before arcing it over to her right. Finally, she grabbed at an imaginary whisker with her thumb and index while the rest of her fingers on the hand stood tall. Where are the other cats? Nickel shrugged, as best a cat can shrug. I have seen many human subjects hunting by an oasis in the east. Sumpra brought a flat hand from her chin down in the direction of the cat, and we made our way due east. The walk was uneventful and long until it became very eventful. In order to avoid a large patch of cacti, we made our way down into a valley. As we reached its center, the ground beneath us gave way. and the next moment, we were all slamming into the bottom of a pit of sand. We performed some basic first aid, Everyone was fine, just a little shook. And then we began planning our escape. I tried to climb out of the hole, but the loose sand gave way when I grabbed at it. Next, we stood on top of each other's shoulders to reach the edge. Augie made a fantastic base, but the ledge was still out of reach. It was when we were rooting through our backpacks for a solution that we heard a commotion above us. Leaning over the edge, with six dry blades of grass taped to their faces, were several human subjects. They were chattering incessantly as one of them jumped into the pit with a rope. We were excited. We were saved. Jack reached for the rope, but his hand was slapped away. The subjects began shouting at us to put our hands behind our backs. The subject in the hole tied us up with a thick, scratchy rope. We were lifted out of the hole in short bursts following the rhythm of chanting outside. I half expected them to release us once we got to the top, but they didn't. Instead, they dragged us, one large lump of artists, across the desert. Sumpra and I had our faces in the ground, spitting out sand and closing our eyes as tight as possible, while Jack and Auggie were faced up towards the sun, their faces red and their lips dry in the heat. Astatine was curled up under Auggie's shirt, but nobody seemed to notice. Eventually, the dragging stopped. The subjects lifted our tied mass to our feet and bowed low as they retreated backward. Sumpra and I were faced away from our captor, but Jack and Auggie were facing toward her. It was Tin. Tin was always a large cat, but now she was engulfing. Her body pooled beneath her, rippling with the slightest move. She sat on the other side of the pool of water in this little oasis. To the left, a human subject was fanning her with a large leaf. To the right, a pile of dead animals. Tin's mouth was red from raw meat, and in front of her was a pile of bones riddled with teeth marks. Oh ho ho, what have we here? My subjects must be gatherers today because they have gathered such fine specimens. You must be grateful they were not hunters. Tin laughed a loud, hearty laugh. All of the subjects laughed as well, though more because their queen was laughing. We also politely laughed, not entirely knowing what the joke was. Well, no matter. My subjects have brought me such fine, appetizing morsels, and I do love a kill. Tin rose to her feet knocking over her shoddy pile of meat in the process. One of the carcasses landed in the pool, turning the water near it, a faded red. We were breathing fast and making quick eye contact with each other, trying in vain to formulate some kind of plan. Augie was trying to shimmy free from the ropes. She was shimmying like her life depended on it because it did. As she moved, something dropped from her shirt. Astatine. She landed on the tips of her toes with an arched back and puffed tail. After shaking that off, she hobbled her way over to the edge of the oasis, sat down, lowered her head, and began to drink. Tin stopped the moment she saw her. Astatine? she asked. The little kitten's tongue was flicking at the water. She looked rather happy. I was facing away from our captors, so I spoke loudly. Tin, we seek to reunite the periodic kittens, restore peace to the barren desert, and to find a home for little Astatine. So it is you. Untie them! The human subjects rushed around us, quickly undoing our bonds. Astatine looked up at the noise, but then returned to drinking when she realized it didn't concern her. The subjects brought us to the other side of the oasis. We sat across from Tin, who had demanded we dine with her. We were brought four coyote carcasses, which was apparently a favored meal. They were raw and left red outlines on the sand. Nobody was hungry, but we didn't want to be rude. We ate, even though it was utterly disgusting. Tin spoke between bites. Astatine was gnawing away at a bloody bone to her side. Tin mused that she never thought she would see Astatine again, how much she missed her, and the usual long-lost returned speeches. Unlike some of the others, Tin seemed hopeful at returning to the tower. She spoke highly of Astatine and made claims that if anyone could bring them together, It would be the little three-legged cat. We asked if Tin knew the whereabouts of bismuth or silver. She nodded. Apparently, Tin had been regularly feeding the starving silver. She was last seen skulking away to the northeast. We thanked the large cat and rose to continue our journey. Tin insisted we take a carcass for the road. We tried to decline, but she was very stubborn. Jack, a dull boy, bless his heart, offered to carry it. As we left, I turned back to look at the oasis. I could see tin spat swaying side to side beneath her as she walked towards the tower under the shade of a canopy held by her subjects. We had no landmarks to work towards this time, just a vague direction. We traveled perpendicular to the setting sun, finding our way northeast. Everyone's eyes were peeled for a starving, banished cat. We thought we saw her, off in the distance, We started running towards the presumed silver when we realized that this was not silver. It was a large cat, yes, but it was splattered orange and white, not the light gray fur we were hoping. Its body was covered in lumps that moved and pulsated. The creature seemed to be coming towards us. As it neared, we could see that the lumps were not tumors or growths, but human subjects holding on to the fur, constantly petting the cat to which they grasped. A large scar dragged its way across the front of the creature's face. It was Bismuth. Hello, weary travelers. I noticed your feet lie on the hot, dry sand. That must be very unpleasant. If you would like, you could ride with me. I will carry you across this damned desert, provide shade and food, as long as you promise to stroke my fur as you ride. What say you? I did not hesitate. Bismuth. We seek to reunite the periodic kittens, restore balance to this barren desert, and find a home for little Astatine. Bismuth shook his head, confused and overwhelmed at this expansive request. Augie stepped forward and held up Astatine, who let out a quaint mew. Bismuth squinted and stared. Astatine. We have come to return her home to her family. We wish for your litter to meet at the tower and to rule this land together once more. Bismuth crouched down, speaking directly to the three-legged kitten. Astatine, you do not want this. Cobalt has grown cold and harsh with power. He drove us all away and he will do the same to you. Bismuth inched closer. Do you see this scar? This was given to me by Cobalt. He is filled with nothing but hate. Astatine looked up from licking her paw and saw the massive face of her brother. The scar ran from above Bismuth's eye, down across the face, and ended at his right nostril, which was torn and gnarled. Astatine stretched out her head, sniffing, before finally finding the edge of the scar. She licked it, over and over again, the rough cat tongue making soft scraping sounds against the leathery nose. Okay, Bismuth sighed, I will return. He rose to his feet. The subjects on his back swayed as he did so. He started out towards the tower, his eyes narrow. Before you go, uh, we still seek Silver. Do you know where she may be? Bismuth turned to us. Of course I know where Silver is. We were both banished. Who else do we have? Come, climb on my back. We rushed over to the large cat and gripped onto fur as large as ropes. We hauled ourselves on to this lord of the desert. I remember when Bismuth was just a small thing, falling asleep on the mixer in the studio as we tried to work. Now, he was hulking, larger than any other land mammal on Earth. We held on to our cat and pet him as he took off barreling down the desert. It was a rough ride, but we managed to stay on. Bismuth moved fast through the trip, but now he was slowing. He went from a full dash to a soft, careful gait. As we rose over a dune, we could see why. Silver was there, curled up in the sand. She was thin, her ribs showing through her matted gray fur. Her eyes were closed and pained. Each breath of hers felt like a miracle. Bismuth stood at the top of the dune and let us dismount. We walked down until we were right in front of the sleeping cat. I placed my hand against the side of her face. She opened her eyes with a slight start, letting out a quick sound that was half purr, half chirp and I smiled. Silver, we seek to reunite the periodic kittens, restore balance to this barren desert, and to find a home for little Astatine. Augie set Astatine on top of Silver's nose. The three-legged cat was purring loudly and rubbing her head at the space between Silver's eyes. Silver said nothing, just closed her eyes and purred a low, lazy purr. Bismuth spoke up from behind us. She is starving. She has not had the resources to hunt, and the desert is unforgiving. I have brought her what I can, but it was not enough. Jack, a dull boy, looked up towards Bismuth, a look of proud realization on his face. He took off his backpack, fished around inside, and brought out the coyote carcass. He held it like an injured dog and set it in front of Silver. I know it's not a lot but hopefully it will get you the energy you need to move, to return home. Nothing happened for a moment, but then Silver took a deep breath and stood. Astatine, still atop Silver's nose, spread her legs, stabling herself as she rose 15 feet into the air. Silver reached out with a paw, clawed the meat, and brought it up to her mouth. She took small bites, either to savor the food or to not disturb Astatine, Once she was finished, she dropped the leftover bones to the floor. All right, she said. Let's go. We all rode bismuth except for Astatine, who stayed atop Silver's nose. Despite Silver's exhausted state, we still made good time. I guess desert travel gets easier the larger you are. We stopped by the oasis on the way there. Silver ate her fill, and after that we were moving like no tomorrow, running across the grainy sands of the desert. The tower grew as we approached. We could see Cobalt at the top, an old man pouring water from the bath over the white fur of the cat. Cobalt appeared to be speaking to the three other cats at its base. Zink was responding the most, Tin was listening as his subjects fed him some rabbits, and Nickel was rolling in the sand, not appearing to be listening at all. As we approached, the discussion stopped. All eyes were on us. The first to speak was Cobalt, from the top of the tower. You have a lot of nerve returning here. The two of you spat on everything we have made and abandoned this family. And now you want to return to the way things were? I am sorry, but I cannot allow that. Your actions must have consequences. Bismuth shouted back, arguing that it was Cobalt who was wrong and deserving of consequences, and that he would pay for his misgivings. Cobalt hissed, and claimed that he only ever acted out of the best interest of the subjects and his family. The two went back and forth for some time, with the other cats joining in sporadically. Even Silver entered the fray with her raspy but confident voice. It escalated rapidly. The cats were now howling about mutiny and banishing Cobalt. Nickel even had his dirty claws sunk into the side of the tower as he climbed towards the top. The cacophony was growing and growing until... One sound made it stop. It was Astatine, standing on her own in the sand. She did not meow or mew or purr or even chirp. She spoke, her eyes glowing blue. You are my family. We are brothers and sisters born together on Cal Island. We drank from the same bowl and rolled on the carpet, wrestling and pretending to fight. When did this evolve into the political combat that we see today? I am here now, reunited with my family, and you want to kill each other. What happened to forgiveness? To understanding? We have the opportunity to start new, to be a family again, to rule this land benevolently. I say we take it. Forget your squabbles, please, and let us be whole. The cats were no longer still. Instead, they were slowly sinking, each realizing that Astatine was right. Bismuth apologized, Nickel climbed down, Tin stopped her eating, Zinc stepped out into the open, and Silver lowered her head. Cobalt leaped from the tower, his wet fur giving the illusion of rain as he landed in the now muddy sand. He turned up towards the old man with the bucket and flicked his head to the side. The man quickly scurried away from the pool and down into the tower. Cobalt addressed Astatine. I remember one morning the Collective was getting ready. As so-and-so was eating breakfast at the table, running late for a meeting, he was tying his shoes and we were underneath the table. I was attacking one lace and you the other. I miss those times. I've been so caught up in this world and my own needs that I forgot what matters most. The memories and the people who made those memories. Cobalt leaned over and gave Astatine a long lick across the head. It was such a hard lick that the little kitten rose off the ground a tad. We watched, beaming. Our mission complete, the family reunited. The cats all grouped together, licking, apologizing, laughing. We gathered our gear and turned to walk away, not wanting to disturb this intimate moment. We were about to leave when Augie felt a paw rest on her calf. She turned around. It was Astatine. Auggie knelt and held her cat one last time. Astatine spoke. Thank you, Auggie. Thank you for keeping me a little longer. Thank you for always caring for me and for risking your life to bring me here to my siblings. You have been my greatest source of joy, and I will always remember you. Astatine reached her paws up to Auggie's shoulder, stood on her hind leg, and licked her favorite human right on the forehead. Astatine's tongue left a trail of blue light, and as she pulled away, the light faded into Augie. The blue glow of her eyes were reflected in the tears residing just beneath them. Augie stood, wiping the back of her thumb under her eyes. Astatine darted back to her siblings, purring. I put a hand on Auggie's shoulder. You alright? She assured me she was. It had just been a long day. I agreed, and readjusted my backpack for the journey home. We gathered the group together and left the Mojave Desert. Augie's hands were no longer carrying little Astatine. Instead, Augie held her sister's arm as she was led from the desert and back to her home. We arrived back at Cal Island so early in the morning that it was still considered night. We were all set to just crash in bed as we fumbled with the front door. When it opened, we were met with a blinding light, which was odd since the collective typically went to bed rather early. Our crumpled faces blinked as we acclimated to the light. Standing there, in the middle of our foyer, staring at paintings on the wall, was Julia Sawbone, a traveling member of Newton's dark room. I was confused and half asleep, but she greeted us enthusiastically, giving each of us a tight hug. She complimented Augie's glowing blue eyes before apologizing for keeping us up. We said, no, no, it's fine, as we prepared ourselves for conversation. Julia had been in our shoes before, returning home late after a grand adventure. She apologized again, not to actually apologize, but to politely inform us that she knew we were tired and that we needed to sleep. She insisted we go to bed and that she would catch up with us in the morning. So, we slept. And then, over a breakfast of biscuits and gravy made by Julia Sawbone herself, we learned of her recent journey and of NDR's next project a project which we will tell you all about next week in a brand new member spotlight. You just listened to Newton's Dark Room Presents. This episode was created and performed by Talon Stradley. You can find more information on this show, The Collective, and our other podcasts at newtonsdarkroom.com. You can also follow us on social media at newtonsdarkroom to stay up to date on whatever we're working on. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Produced by Newton's Dark Room